this sound is actually you. Everyone in it has got this massive soul. We're looking people, and that's what we care about. Hello everyone, welcome along to another episode of the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast. Uh, it's the international break and uh, oh well, a couple of our squad are off on uh, different duties. So uh, this week it's just myself, your host Kev and uh, the Lutonian journalist James Cunliffe who I've got with me. James, how are you doing? I'm good mate, it's a hot one isn't it? It's a hot one. It absolutely is a hot one, yeah. I hope you're all enjoying the hot weather out there. Uh, if you do hear some background noise, it's literally because it's like a sauna where we are recording and uh, we're not shutting the windows, unfortunately. Uh, it's just too hot. And we're literally, we literally, we, we will bring you as the best quality that we can, we're but we, ref, we will refuse to absolutely melt in front of your very eyes. Well, I don't know. We are, I think we're melting in HD here, aren't we? We, we are indeed, yeah. Uh, you are watching or listening to the West Ham Review podcast, uh, Luton Town's first ever Premier League match at Kenworth Road. Um, before we go on to the game, James, let's talk about Kenworth Road. I mean, she looked really, really good on Friday night. The new stand looks spectacular. Kudos to everybody who was involved in getting that up and running so quickly. Obviously, we had the test event against Gillingham and then the main event uh, for the West Ham game. And um, yeah, it just it just brings even more magic to the place. Mammoth effort, wasn't it, really, uh, to do all that in 13 weeks? Yeah, it looked cracking. I mean, I'm over the other side now. Um, they've put the press in the bobber's gantry, so I get to look at the main stand and stuff. So I haven't really got a perspective of how it looks, although I do have to walk all the way around the other side of the pitch to then get to the interview room afterwards, which is in the Nick Owen, uh, which is formerly a bar and for the uninitiated. But yeah, it all all looks um, uh, fantastic. I was there for the Gillingham game for the Carabao Cup as the test event. And uh, yeah, it rained then. The rain comes in, <laughs> so well, we, you know what? What do you expect? It's uh, it's it's there for the TV cameras, I think, predominantly. So, um, yeah, we could put up a bit of rain, can't we? TV VAR. We're going to come on to VAR. Actually, we're not going to come on to VAR too much in this podcast, even though there was a key decision on the game. Uh, we will do our monthly podcast, our regular one, which will come out slightly after this one. So uh, there might be many a rant on VAR. On that one, that's for sure. Yeah, you can handle the rain. I mean, your nice snazzy uh, podcast uh, laptop cover, I'm sure it's waterproof. And uh, it, it, the, the problem is in the winter when the old um, sun's up there, you're going to be absolutely blinded. It's, mind you, those of us sitting in the Kenilworth end are blinded by the lights underneath you. So uh, everyone's kind of kind of blinded. But yeah, absolutely massive effort to get that new stand up and running. And uh, anyone who goes there throughout the course of the season, enjoy it. Yeah, it's obviously going to be a great place to be. My favourite part of it is there's a block with just nine seats. And yeah, I saw that. Cannot be, cannot be another Premier League yeah. block <laughs> that's got nine seats in it. Absolutely um, fantastic. What wasn't quite as fantastic, though, was the result, James. And when obviously we are here to discuss the game itself. 2-1 to West Ham. Obviously, uh, Luton uh, got one back kind of late on. But for the first... 30 minutes I thought if anyone was going to score a goal it was going to be us but we just couldn't put that ball in the back of the net it's very sort of similar to the first season back in the championship where we had lots of play but our ruthlessness in well both penalty boxes but particularly the attacking one just was not there yeah you're right um it 
it was a decent start from Luton, played really well, front foot um, attacking. Um, I mean, it was kind of the story of the game, really, in, in the sense that I think Luton created more chances than West Ham, but they took theirs when Luton had a lapse in concentration. The both times they, they, they punished Luton. So, um, yeah, it was uh, not, not, not great in front of goal, but promising everywhere else. Uh, you know, the, the, inside, the signs of improvement and the progression does seem to be there. Obviously disappointed because it was the, the big debut of the revamp Kenilworth Road Stadium first game in the Premier League that we thought there might be a result there. You know, in the preview podcast, we all said that as well, that we thought that would be the case. So, um, yeah, it's it's one of these situations where, like you say, as you come up in the championship, you have to sort of, everyone has to get used to the... <laughs> set got, mouth, set got, malfunction. Some, got some gremlins uh, <laughs> in the background. Um, everybody has to get used to the whole situation, really, isn't it? Uh, from the team to the to the players and everything. So, um, yeah, it was a uh, yeah, it was it was a frustrating one in, in front of goal, uh, and we just hope that that side of things improves. But everywhere else, you know, I think Luton were. I think Luton matched West Ham for large parts of the game. Um, I mean, if you if, if you're being really fair, I think West Ham did a great job on really being quite boring for thirty minutes and nullifying the crowd a bit. You know, that sort of that was disappointing because you know I was expecting the vociferous atmosphere, and you know maybe it's because of where I was sat. Um, in the bobbers and I'm miles away from all the noise in the main stand and stuff where I used to be uh, in the press desk that, that could play a part I don't know but um, you know everybody was up for it to start with and I think West Ham just bought the pants off people for a little while and that was that was a great game plan from, from them really but um, you know that'll happen if you can't stick the ball in the net yeah, I think the damning statistic from the game was uh, 16 goal attempts for Luton and only one hit the target. And obviously that was Mads' uh, header late on. I mean, you know, you've got to hit the target more than once if you have 16 shots. And it wasn't like they were being fired in from 30 yards. They were in good positions. I mean, Burks had a couple of headers and, you know, I'm not pulling out anyone out here, but I think he would admit himself he would expect to at least hit the target, but probably score both of them. Barkley had a couple of chances inside the box as well, where again, he would expect to at least work the goalkeeper. It was it, it felt to me watching on for much of the game that there was a bit of a, a bit of a panic, you know, that rather than just relax and play our football and everyone's telling us we've got nothing to lose. Just kind of approach it that way. There was a, there was a bit of a panic when we had the ball. It was frenetic we kept on losing it we lost it and that's the one thing that's going to have to change as we go through this season you lose the ball or you give an opponent the chance to get the ball off you it's gone you don't get it back that's the point yeah yeah that is that is a very a key point of that I think which also plays into West Ham's hands really is that well what you notice in the Premier League football what I've noticed so far is there's an awful lot of the ball being played around the back and I mean central defenders must have the most amount of touches out of anyone in the team because it's just constant around the back and it's a bit boring. And, you know, they, they did that to quieten the crowd. Um, 
take the sting out of the enthusiasm of the players, I think. Um, but also, I think that's just, that is the Premier League, really. And you've got, there's a balance to be had, I think. I know that everybody wants to Luton to be blood and thunder. You do that and you're going to get your pocket picked all the time. That's what's happening to Burnley at the moment. And I think you've got to be a bit more pragmatic than that. But you also don't want to lose the essence of what Luton are and how Luton got here, which was going after teams. So there's that balance to be struck. And it's that point about growing into the league and, and learning as you go. Um, so hopefully that happens. Like I say, I think there was progressive signs that that can, but you have to take your chances. West Ham showed that. Yeah, I mean, it's not like West Ham were absolutely peppering the goal. They only had nine shots themselves. Three of those hit the target. Obviously, two of them gone in the back of the net. The first one, so disappointing because, I mean, it's a horrendous goal kick to begin with. It's absolutely nowhere near any Luton player. Uh, whatsoever and I wonder if we'll go back to playing the goal kicks out of the back I mean we did pretty much straight after uh, we conceded that goal and then obviously uh, there's no real pressure on the ball that that allows Paqueta who you know this guy's standout footballer plays for Brazil okay he probably had a bet on an assist or something like that but you know in all seriousness you're giving one of the best players in the Premier League time and space to pick a cross out Mm. Yet again, much like the Brighton game, we're under the ball. He's got a free head of Bowen. I'm not here to slag a goalkeeper off, but I would imagine he's disappointed with how he's done with the header as well. And you combine all three. I mean, if you make one mistake, the chances are you're in trouble. If you make three so quickly, mm. if the ball don't end up in the back of your net, you're very lucky. Yeah, I mean, I only saw it on the replay afterwards at, at the time. Uh I didn't realise how much space there was that Kaminsky gave for Bowen to aim at. And then, obviously, you see in the replay, and one particular angle, it looks like he's almost pushed the ball into the net with, with him trying to save. I'm not I'm not saying he intentionally did that, but he'll be wanting to do a lot better than that. I know, you know, Tony thought he was man of the match the first two games and stuff like that, so he'd be looking for a little bit better than him there. But it was a catalogue of very quick errors anyway for that goal. It's an unbelievable ball from Paqueta and I picked him out in the pre-match podcast. I thought he was a very dangerous player and he did look at class for the whole game. He was playing no-look passes and stuff like that and he, he did look comfortable, if if not exceptional for the whole game. But that's the point, isn't it? Because you could just have to be exceptional for that one moment, which he was, and he picked out Bowen. Giles needs to be doing a hell of a lot better there. Uh, he left, left him at the back post and then you know, Kaminsky would be expecting himself to do a lot better there as well. So, um, you know, it's a disappointing goal. And it really did, after that half an hour where Luton, um, West Ham took the sting out of the atmosphere, it sucked everything out of the ground, didn't it? That? Yeah, it really did. Um, the sort of singing kind of cascaded. There was a kind of a feeling that, oh Christ, don't let it be like the last two sort of thing. And it wasn't, it never really was. West Ham weren't really interested in making it like the last two. They just wanted to get their win, get out and um, happy days. Uh, You're right about Giles, but also Kaminsky, he's headed that four yards from your goal and the ball isn't exactly fizzed in. Come out and get rid of the ball. Punch it, catch it, do whatever the hell you need to do to it. But you, you give an England international a header four yards from goal chances are you're picking it out the back of your net whether you should be or shouldn't be and we didn't really learn our lesson for the second one because if in many ways it's even worse than the first one because you know James Ward-Prowse is going to pick someone out from a corner he's done it for god knows how long for Southampton 
He's already done it for West Ham against Chelsea. But to leave Kurt Zuma of all people, I mean, he must be the most recognisable player on the pitch. Six foot, whatever he is. Absolute beast. Had an absolute monster game. Morris wasn't in the game whatsoever because of the quality of Zuma. And... Um, just a free header from a corner. I mean, I would imagine of all the goals we've conceded this season, that's the one that's going to disappoint, uh, disappoint Rob Edwards the most because we pride ourselves on set pieces. Yeah. Um, you know, Luton have got to make the most of set pieces in both boxes, really. And, you know, as good as James Ward Prowse is at, at set pieces, I don't think that was a peach or anything. That was just a routine corner. He's not had to do much there. He's had to stick it in the mixer almost. And, yeah, I mean, Luton getting each other's way. I think it was it was Burke trying to keep tabs on Zuma, and was it Nakambu who got in his way? I think maybe. Um, so that's that's really disappointing because to have a free header uh, from there, um, just <laughs> you know, you're gonna. I mean, it showed Luton what you have to do. Really, if you get those chances, if somebody's lacking or there's a mistake made, then you've got to take those chances, and, and he did. And um, it was so disappointing, really, because I did feel that there was... I, I think everybody felt there was something that, that could be got there. And then when it goes to 2-0, you're like, oh, well, that's that's the game gone. I mean, the the, the finale... Um, the finale was a different story, really. It was almost a five-minute game, really, at the end, wasn't it? So, um, But at the time they scored that, I mean, even the commentary, when you listen back to it later, uh, they were saying, well, they probably won them the game there because what are you going to do five minutes from time yeah and obviously we hadn't really looked like scoring at that point and as i said uh, a few minutes ago we had lots of shots but you know um Ariola in the goal i mean until the last five minutes he could have been sat reading the program really couldn't he for all the threat that um that we caused but to be fair to Luton we kept on going that's the one thing we're always going to do we're going to keep fighting right till the last minute lovely ball in from Bell brilliant header from Morris finally got um, away from Zuma to win a header and credit to Mads Anderson you know just knocked that in like a centre forward not a centre back and um, I actually thought he had a really good game Mads to be honest I, Antonio was a fear of mine I flagged it up in the preview podcast and when I saw that Lockyer wasn't on the team sheet I thought uh oh but to be fair Antonio wasn't in the game it's just a shame that too many of the others were. Yeah, I mean, he did really well against Mads. I've worn my uh, vintage 1986 Denmark, I was, uh, Denmark shirt. I was going to come honor, on to that. In honour of Mads, uh, because also uh, he's made history there, hasn't he? He's the first uh, Luton player to score in the Premier League. And um, he was the first... Dane, at Kenilworth Road. At Kenilworth Road, sorry. Uh, he's the first Dane to score since Elstrup in 89 as well. So I, was, I thought, yeah, good, good enough reason to whip out this shirt. It's very hot in here. I wish I hadn't. <laughs> it's not a day for football shirts. It's absolutely yeah. not. Um, but yeah, I, I thought, I did think he had a great game. There was one, there's only one passage of play where I thought, ooh, um, when it got knocked down the wing and he had to be, he had to chase the ball a bit slightly wider the penalty area and he, he looked like he was a bit running through tree. It was early on, so maybe, you know, just hadn't got used to the pace of the game yet. But everything after that, I thought he did exceptionally well. And I, for me, there's early signs that he could be little bit of a cult hero, Mads Anderson, um, because he's not there to be Rio Ferdinand. He's there to kick it and head it away. <laughs> he did a great job here. Yeah, he really did. Uh, I mean, if we go on to the positives of the game, um, we will come on to that decision shortly. Uh, I, I thought he was a real positive of the game. But for me, and there's been an absolute social media nonsense about this, but for me, Ross Barkley really excites me in the Luton shirt. 
I thought he was excellent again for the time he was on the pitch. I saw someone on social media, and I don't like digging people out on social media because we know it's a cesspit of nonsense, saying he wasn't even he's not good enough for our midfield. I mean, have a word with yourself for Christ's sake. This bloke is as technically gifted as I've seen any player in a Luton shirt. And um, then I saw a statistic. He created four chances in the game, only two players over the whole of the Premier League weekend. And you consider that there was a 5-2 win, a 5-1 win and copious other high scoring games. Only two players created more for their team than Ross Barkley. The only thing it lacked was a finish to one of those early chances, wasn't it? If he'd put one of those in the back of the net, the place would have been rocking. He'd have been a hero. And um, But he's not fit. You're working his way up to fitness. Everyone said he's probably not going to be fit until the Fulham game once we've got two more weeks of training into him. But from what I've seen at Chelsea and what I saw on Friday night, we've got, we haven't got the Everton Ross Barkley back yet, but we've got a much better version than the Chelsea version of Ross Barkley. Yeah, I, I thought he had a good game. I think people, um, sometimes they look for negatives too much and there was twice maybe he tripped over the ball, didn't he, when he was trying to move it forward but he was trying to be progressive with it. he was on a little bit of a run forward to try and probe and see what he can get it looked a bit clumsy and clunky like yeah he's not quite up to speed and not fit enough and he did look you know he did look a bit like he was blowing a bit towards um, the end of the game and then he got taken off um, uh, and stuff and then you know I thought when Pelly came on uh, the game really went up a notch as well so um, you know big props to Pelly that he, he did that against the club that he Came up through, obviously, he'd be wanting to play that. But, um, uh, you know, yeah, Ross Barkley, as I said in the previous one, you know, in, in the Chelsea game, his touch looked assured in the sense that when a lot of the Loon players got it, it sometimes seemed a bit hurried. He didn't. Um, and that's good. That's promising. Um, I think there's probably... I think there's probably some questions to be asked as whether that's the best three at the moment in the midfield. And I'm, I'm happy to have that debate. But we all know he's not fit, uh, totally fit. Um, and he didn't have a pre-season with Luton, so he hadn't embedded in. And so you've got to make allowances for this stuff. You know, As good as he is and as good as he can be, um, you've got to make allowances for this stuff. What I, what I really can't abide is people getting on his back on social media I mean already straight away and it is for this um, clapping thing or perceived not clapping at the end of the game now if that if it bothers you fine and I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily digging you out but it's more of a question why does that bother you because you don't know the circumstances when he got taken off of the sub he clapped that's good and he's not played at Kenilworth Road before. Maybe he doesn't know that that's done. Maybe that's... I would be surprised, wouldn't be surprised, sorry, if no, nobody's saying that at the beginning of the game. Oh, by the way, lads, at the end of the game, what we do at the end is go at the other end and clap. So maybe he didn't know. You've got to give him the benefit of doubt. If he, I mean, if he's doing it 10 games in, then maybe some questions need to be asked uh, as to what sort of advice he's been given and what things he's been told, because it does give a sense of unity, but... After one game and and digging him out and saying he's not good enough, not good enough for our midfield or he's a mercenary, he doesn't care about these things. I think you can make those judgments after one game and it's just it's so disappointing because you're you're not judging him for what he's doing on the pitch either on those. It's it's solely this thing where you must come and clap me. And it 
you know, I'm not going to pick the example that people <laughs> are going to agree with here, but that sort of toxicity ramped up the disaffection for Graham Jones. Yeah, the, the football didn't quite match up and then Nathan Jones did what he did when he came back after Graham Jones left, but these little micro things, they don't help, I don't think, when you're trying to... You've got a battle against the rest of the Premier League for a start, uh, and then if you're battling against... You know this, this the sort of faction of people that are just paying attention to what you do at the end of the game. So it's more of like a, it's a question. What, what, you know, why does, why does it bother people so much? I, I would, I'd love to know. Yeah, let's know in the uh, comments if you're watching on YouTube or obviously uh, wherever you've picked up um, the podcast. The one thing I would say about Ross Barkley is he did come down and clap everyone during that incredible ovation at Chelsea. And you would imagine if he was going to be a mercenary anywhere and go off and not bother clapping fans, it would be at his old club yeah. where he has so many presumably people that he still knows, given that he's only... Uh, been away from there for a year and as it turned out it was a former Chelsea teammate that he walked off with on Friday night Emerson Palmieri the left back so presumably he was just catching up with that it must it, you know it could have been an oversight anything could have happened I'm certainly not going to um certainly not going to slaughter him for that uh that's for sure um I'd much rather see uh see him deliver the goods on the pitch and I'm absolutely confident that we will do in good time um Let's have a look at a couple of negatives from the game. Obviously, the result. We'll start. We'll, we'll start with that decision at VAR. Um, I mean, it was that quick. They didn't even put the thing up on the um, screen that the VAR was being checked. But for me, it shouldn't even have got as far as VAR. It's it's an obvious handball. It, 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 he doesn't even jump, so it can't possibly have hit his head. A referee's okay. His arms the other side of his head, but the referee should be looking around to see where that ball is at all times, and he should see that it hits James Ward-Prowse's arm. I'm in the kennel of end, so I'm looking at that from behind the goal. And I knew that it was a handball. I knew it hit his hand. I could tell it was a handball. Everyone in the kennel of end could tell it was a handball. And that ball has come from the corner. It was Corley Woodrow's corner. It's not like it was smacked at him from the distance that I am from you. That's 40 yards at least that it's travelled. He's got ample time to get his arm out of the way. That has to be a penalty. If that's not a penalty, you may as well give the handball game up. Because... It's just ridiculous how that's not a penalty. And for all these referees to come on and back up the referee, to come on television uh, like Mike Dean on Soccer Saturday, that's everything that's wrong with VAR, really, because these people are just protecting their own and not caring enough about making the right decisions. I, I can understand that the handball laws got absolutely out of hand and it's crazy. But when a ball comes 40 yards and it hits someone's hand, wherever that is on the pitch, that is handball. Hundred percent. It's 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 so frustrating and baffling. And th there's a few things about this. You know, firstly, we haven't had to bother with VAR apart from one FA Cup game against Bournemouth, where twice it went against went for Luton, and then in in the playoff final where you know four times it did <laughs> goals chalked off, which is frustrating. But the, the right decision was reached in the end. However, disappointing it was that. Joe Taylor didn't score the winner, that sort of thing. But with this, it, it's so frustrating because, you know, they spent 10, 12 million pounds to upgrade the stadium. Part of that is so they can have VAR and all these cameras. And if the referee's not seeing it, 
why not? He had a good view of it. The, the camera angles show that he had a good view of it. Why not? Why is not the linesman not seeing it? And if they don't, then isn't that the point of VAR? The point of VAR is to, to rule on those decisions. And I mean, the thing with this is, it's not like they haven't got a camera angle that clearly showed it. The camera angle from pretty much where you were sat shows it as clear as day. But this, this thing, oh, he's not looking at the ball. Well, I don't care if he's not looking at the ball. He's come 40 yards. He should be looking at the bloody ball. And if he's not and he handballs it, then that's even more of a handball because he should be having his eyes on the ball at all times anyway. Yeah. I can't work out for the life of me how it's not given. But part of me would understand the process if they sent the referee over to look at the screen and then he's he makes his own decisions like, oh, I still don't think it's handball. I'd still disagree with it. But at least we know that the referee's gone over there and looked at it. But now we're in we're in the dark, and we're recording this on a Tuesday night. And on Wednesday night, my uh, Howard Webb's going to go on Sky, and he's going to reveal a load of VAR or, um, conversations and things. He's not going to reveal this one, of course. He's not. It because, won't even get touched because, because the, they know they made a cock up about it. All the conversations about it after Luton game because it's Friday. None of them even talked about Luton. No. It's like, and this is kind of kind of the point, isn't it? Because. To not even give Luton the 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 chance for the sorry not Luton but the ref the chance to go and look at it and decide for himself after that I just don't understand what's going in on because and therein lies the problem why are we not hearing anything when West Ham had their um, offside goal five ten minutes into the second half admittedly it was a bit fuzzy but at least on the big screen it showed VAR checking for offside so we knew kind of what was going on. Nobody had an absolute Scooby there. Why are we not hearing what's going on? Why is no one announcing anything whatsoever? I've watched a lot of the Women's World Cup, as I'm sure you did. Mm, And every single decision that the referee went over to that screen, you heard what the outcome was in the stadium, as you should do. If I'm watching on television, I shouldn't hear before the the paying people in that stadium. But that is exactly what happens because the commentators can hear the conversation between VAR and the referees. So if they can hear it, why the bloody hell can't people who've paid to watch this game of football not hear it? And then at least we would understand where they're coming from. We would all still disagree. We think that's a howler of a decision. But at least there'd be some understanding to it. Mm. Now, everyone's just, well, it's little old Luton and the big clubs get all the decisions, which may be the case. It's time, it's time to be transparent at the time, not coming on television three weeks after the event and letting us have these conversations. That's no use to man or beast. No one really gives a shit. We want it there and then. We deserve yeah. we deserve it there and then. We pay good money to watch these games of football. Let us into what's happening. Yeah, I, I made this point last season. Um, maybe it was after the uh, final. I, I can't remember, so I'm not... I'm not saying this just because Luton didn't get awarded the thing, but with all the modern technology that we have now in the game, it's ridiculous that we can't hear what is going on. We can't hear what decisions been made or why it's been made. Um, it's nonsense. And my thought about it, maybe last season, maybe in the couple of seasons before, were that maybe they didn't want to turn the mics on because players language and stuff but you can't even go near a ref anymore this season so for me it's not good enough you know having a having a show where Howard Webb goes on to talk about it I don't care about it. I don't want to be talking about VAR right now 
the I'm frustrated by how it worked on the, you know the first time we've seen it at Kenilworth Road. I don't want to have to talk about it at all, and that is the point of VAR, isn't it? Yeah, those situations that you've mentioned where you might be able, might disagree afterwards, but the point of VAR was if you've missed something. I'm going back to the, when it first came in. Um, it keeps changing, and that's frustrating. Um, but when it first came in, is if you've missed something, whether that's a goal, a penalty, a crucial offside, or a serious foul, that's what it was brought in for to to see. And if you're not using it for that, then what is the point of VAR? Now, like I say, we've not had to bother with it before, and I haven't had to bother. I've ignored it, um, and I just let people who were in the Premier League at the time moan about it, and I go, oh, well, it doesn't matter. We watch proper football and stuff. Um, but that's not the case now. Um, and so I, I, I looked into it because, I, you know, I was fairly ignorant. I hadn't done that. Um, and I found a couple of things. And we'll try and bring this up on the screen for people, but... On the FA website, it tells you what a handball is. And it's got a very handy little diagram it here. Does. It tells you where on the arm is handball. And it tells you what position the arm is for it to be handball. So if it's down by your side and it hits your arm, presumably from a close range as well, no handball. If it's out here and it hits your arm, as James Ward Prowse's arm was, and he's not trying to head it like Mike Dean um, tried to claim. He's nowhere near it. He's ducking out the way, like that way. Then that is a handball. That's that's first thing on the FA website. So that, that alone for me is enough for the VAR to say to Paul Tierney, you need to come and have a look at the screen, have a look at that. We've seen something. Not to just brush it off and go, there's nothing to, to look at. That's nonsense. Also, your argument of it coming over from... Um, the corner, which is what Gary Neville was saying as well on, on the night. That's come over a long way for him to do that. And he's not headed it. He's not got anywhere near the head of it. In fact, his head goes in the opposite direction. His arm comes up. That should be referred to the referee. Um, and also, we had a look at the um, the point of VR uh, back from when it came in. This is the point. So if it's not this, then what is the point? But it says um, that VAR is constantly monitoring the match and VAR is used only for clear and obvious errors or serious missed incidents in four match-changing situations, goals, penalty decisions, direct red card incidents and mistaken identity. Now, that incident falls under all of that. Why is it not being properly checked? Why is it not being told by the ref to the referee, go to the side and look at that very, very expensive screen that Luton have installed here? Absolute nonsense. Or even fulfil the jokes and go to someone's house and watch it back on Sky like all the social media is saying yeah. to do. You know, it's like my, my to, to kind of close out on this. Some... Someone out there in the refereeing world thinks that Lewis Dunk's handball in our opening game of the season was more of a handball yeah, than that exactly. was on Friday night. And it just cannot be right. Yes, we benefited at Brighton. But let's be honest, that was, was a bullshit a decision. And we, as said, indeed, we said it at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. As indeed their one wasn't either. But how that can be given as a handball and this one can't, it's, it's, it's the complete opposite way around. And it's just... 
everything about it, arms in a unnatural position, it falls under all those categories that I've just mentioned about the reason VA was brought, VAR was brought in. And if it isn't that, then it is pointless. And it ends up being this situation where we're spending a lot of time talking about a thing that was brought in to try and make the game better. It doesn't. It slows it down or you get these wrong decisions. It's totally, totally wrong. I mean, to, to Sky's credit, Neville and Carragher both called it out as a nonsense decision there and then. If you only watched Match of the Day, you wouldn't, you know, you'd have got the opposite view and that's um, disappointing. Um, something else that's disappointing, James, um, chance. One chant in particular. Now, I'm not here to be the bearer of, you know, fun and everything else. And and I'll hold my hands up right here and right now. I've sung many a song about Elton John in the past. I don't do it now. I've grown up. I've realised the, the error of my ways. But it is not accept. And, and, and booing players like Diallo in the semi-final, Zuma on Friday night, intimidating players by booing them, by making noise when they're on the ball or anything like that, that's fair game, right? You could even argue that singing songs like, again, at Zuma, that's how your cat felt. Again, you know, banter. Don't really have a problem with that. But when you're calling an innocent woman a whore, now whether it's Tony Thorpe's mum, again, I'll hold my hands up. I sung that when it, at the times when he left us. I don't do it now. This is a woman who probably wasn't even at the game, who's absolutely nothing to do with the game of football and who is a young child's mother who just happens to be going out with a player that was on the pitch. And I'm not even interested about what West Ham fans think about that. And as we alluded to, it's a funny chant. But it's not fair game to be calling women at all whores, let alone in that situation. Just please, please, please do not do it. We have got so many great songs about our own players, about our own club. 30 points, who gives a fuck? Sing it all day long to anyone who wants to hear Robbie Edwards' song all day long, Nakamba, etc., etc., etc. We do not, we are so much better than singing Jared Bowen, your girlfriend's a whore. We are so much better than that and we should be so much better than that and it should be called out and I'm glad on social media that an awful lot of people have called out that for being wrong. It is just it's not good at all please 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 stop that and the fact that he scored against us meant that it bit us on the arse anyway yeah i mean admittedly on the night in the i was in the on the bubba's gantry where the new media section is and i was towards the kenny end so i didn't hear any of that i only saw it blow up on social media afterwards uh, and you're absolutely right i'm all for hostility uh, and making it rough for players You've got to do it in the right way. Um, we did it against Sunderland. Yeah. And, you know, to me, the atmosphere, maybe it's West Ham's um, part in it and what they did in the first 30 minutes. And, and maybe it's the first goal and it, maybe it's because it wasn't against the arch rivals or in the semi-finals to get to Wembley and that didn't have the implications. Whatsoever. For me, the atmosphere wasn't the cauldron I was expecting. That's one thing. But that could also be because of where I sat in uh, in the in the bubbles bit. It's a new bit. I'm not used to it. I used to be in the main stand where it was noisy constantly and all these different things. So for me, there was that. But if you're focusing some of your chanting and songs on 
this nonsense about people's girlfriends instead of actually trying to raise that atmosphere to a really hostile Sunderland Watford style atmosphere and really get on West Ham you're wasting your you're wasting your time and your breath but it's also time for you to fucking grow up I mean we're better than that are we we're, we're, are we absolutely are. and to be I've fair seen, I've seen some people who were defending it going yeah. saying things like well West Ham sing their song about it yeah right. but they were That's saying what, oh there's some people going, oh yeah, so you don't want us to be, you don't want us to be nice then. You want us to be nice then. Well, that's not going to happen. It's not about being nice. It's not being, it's about not being a misogynist. Yeah. That's what it is. Boo the living daylights out of Boeing. Boo the mm. living daylights out of Zuma. Boo the living daylights out of Paqueta who's up on betting charges and everything else that's wrong with Premier League football by all means. But when it comes to chanting, we've got some great chants. And we flag them up on here, don't we? And you flag them up on your site. Whenever I've gone to an away game and I've heard a chant that's been brilliant, like that's mirrored the 80s bangers and things like that, you know, like the Alan Campbell one, the James Bree ones, we always flag them up. They're great chants. Not this. We can't. We cannot flag that up. It's just, again, I don't want to be the party pooper or anything like that, but we are so, so, so much better than that. We've got so yeah. many other things and people to put our anger at with regard, you know, the, the FA, the football league, we really don't need to be targeting innocent women or any women whatsoever, actually, for that matter. Also, I mean, read the bloody room. Most of the people find it offensive. Just don't do it. I mean, there's been times in the 10 years where Luton have been going up and up and up where some really rough chants have been sang and people have booed them out. Do that. Do that if it carries on because that's, it's it's just not on. You can't do that. And also understand that Luton have got, you know, I know people are saying about Luton, they're going to go down and stuff. But as a club, Luton have got this magnificent reputation that's been built on what has happened over the last 10 to 15 years. Don't go ruin it with these ridiculous, uh, Not it's not even ridiculous, it's offensive. Don't go ruining it with these offensive chants because the eyes of the world are on Luton in the Premier League. And, you know, before the season started, I, I know it was a, a Premier League wide thing, but all the clubs had to post something about not singing offensive things. Um, already this week, you've got clubs um, getting, their fans getting pulled up for racist chanting. You've got clubs uh, getting pulled up for sexist chanting uh, and uh, ultimately it's a fine at the end of the day and, and don't come to me and say oh well Luton got loads of money in the Premier League they can afford it just don't do it in the first place no. don't cost your club money don't cost your club this reputational hit just don't do it just grow up yep we had it at Brighton we've had it against West Ham let's not have it after the international break it's uh, it's not big not clever and it doesn't help anyone at all. James, we always finish these review podcasts off with uh, the player that kind of impressed you the most on the, well, usually day but night on this occasion. Which player in the Luton shirt did you come away from the game thinking, yeah, I thought he was, I thought he had a really good game? Um, well, I've already mentioned Mads. I thought he's um, understated and people haven't really talked about him much. He obviously scored the goal. Um, uh, but for me... Uh, Reese Burke, 
I just thought he was absolutely fantastic. I know the second goal, he was trying to keep tabs on Zuma, um, but him and was it in the camp that crossed over each other and got in each other's way? Can't remember. I think it was. That's unfortunate. These are things you can probably try and work out on the training ground, but everything else the guy did was really like sort of touching top draw. Is what you need in the Premier League. We, we we've talked and talked and talked about Reese Burke being a Rolls Royce defender, and what he did in that game, in really an attacking sense, because West Ham didn't have that many opportunities. But his assuredness on the ball and his ability to come out of defence and start things off, I think it was, I think it was top class and. Um, we just need him to stay fit. And this is the situation that's always been, isn't it? Because he gets this run of games and he builds up head of steam. He looks so classy. And then he breaks down. It's usually after seven games, uh, I think uh, it was worked out as last season. So hopefully he is over that because, you know, they're going to need him because it looks like Osho is going to be out for a while. And hopefully Tom Lockyer isn't going to be out for a while, but he's just been withdrawn from the Wales side because of this injury and um, yeah we don't really know the extent of it at the moment but that doesn't sound good it doesn't sound like a, a quick fix so you know if uh, if those two are going to see a lot of action Mads Anderson and Reese Burke if that's the case but if they perform like they did against West Ham then um, you know we can we can be confident in, in, in them improving and it going well for Luton. Yeah, we absolutely can. Hopefully the fact that there's, uh, in the Premier League, it's generally Saturday, 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 will help Reese Burke. I, th- I think the Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, they're the ones where he usually broke down at the end of um, end of all them. So hopefully he's good. Uh, huge shout out to Alfred Doughty as well, who I thought was brilliant down that right-hand side and uh, also down the left-hand side. And hopefully the injury that he went off with was only, uh, only cramp, which is... Um, what it looked like okay that's it for this episode of the podcast uh, our thanks as always to the Hightown Club for hosting us um, for this podcast uh, thanks also to Sean Grant and the Wolf Gang for our fantastic introduction and to Ed Smith who's done all of our imagery uh, ahead of this season um, please like and share the podcast and if you haven't already uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel to be notified of when our video podcasts do drop there's going to be lots of them during the international break as we catch up with uh, everything that we missed out on whilst we were slightly delayed at the start of the season because of the new kit and the new set and everything else Uh, the further the wider that we can um, spread the podcast the bigger and the better we can make it for you guys and of course it's you guys that we're doing this for so um If you can share, subscribe, we would really, really appreciate it. Please also keep your comments coming in as well. We do read all of them. Uh, If there's anything you'd like us to discuss on podcasts, let us know. We will put messages out on social media asking for uh, topic points and things like that. So we're happy to discuss anything that you guys want to. And we'll incorporate it where we can. Uh, That's it for this episode of the podcast. So, James, thanks for your company. Thank you for watching or listening. And until next time, come on you at us. Everyone in it has got this massive soul. We're looking people, and that's what we care about.